People of the Book on 101.9 High FM. This is People of the Book on 101.9 High FM. This is Stephen Kravitz. And we have a full show today, two interviews, both authors published by Macmillan. And it's a very big privilege and a great pleasure to welcome our first interviewee into the studio. It's Craig Higginson. Welcome, Craig. Hi, Stephen. It's great to be here. Before I ask Craig to introduce himself, just to tell all our listeners, Craig's the author of four novels. Uh, His previous novel, The Dream House, has been set as the IB set work for the contemporary novel for the next three years from 2019 to 2021. And his current novel that's just been released, The White Room, we'll be talking about that during the course of today. So it's, 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 a, it's a great pleasure to have Craig join us in the studio. As welcome, Craig. Thank you. And the first question I'm going to ask you is to please introduce yourself in your own words and on your own terms. Okay, well, so I'm, I'm Craig. I, I'm 46. I was born in Zimbabwe. We moved to South Africa when I was about four. Um, in the, in the, just, just before the Soweto demonstrations. Uh, grew up in Joburg, went to school in KZN boarding school, went to Wits, had 10 years in the UK, and I've been back to living in South Africa for about 13 years now, I suppose. And um, yeah, work in television um, as a script editor of Rhythm City, teach a little bit at AFTA, and I write novels and plays, and um, I'm very happy to be living in South Africa. And uh, from being happy to live in South Africa, we're going to have your novel, The Dream House, is going to form the minds of at least close to 30,000 South Africans. As I said, The Dream House is a set work for the IEB for the next three years. There are about 10,000 matriculants every year in the IEB system. So three years, close to 30,000 people will be reading your book. The Dream House is going to become part of the South African national discourse and for many students, a vital part of their literary education. Two questions. Can you give us a brief outline of the, of the, of, of the book, The Dream House? And then two, how do you hope The Dream House will contribute to the national dialogue and to these students' education? Okay, well, um, yeah, I mean, it's a great honor and privilege that, you know, for me that it, that it was uh, chosen as a set work. I think it's voted by the, the teachers. Um, I didn't have any, you know, anything to do with that, so it was a real surprise. And yeah, and and it's 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 lovely to have that number of of young people engaging and teachers as well, of course, engaging with the book. Um, it actually had its its origins, the novel, in a play that I wrote called Dream of the Dog, which um, was on SAFM, and then it opened at the Market Theatre in two thousand and seven, and and uh, it was also on Grahamstown at the main main festival. And then I think t- 2008, it was at the Hilton Festival. And then 2010, there was a uh, production in London with um, Janet Sussman in it. And we started in a tiny little pub theater called the Finborough. And I think because Janet was in it, um, all the national press came along and it got these five-star reviews and transferred to the West End to a small theater called the Trafalgar Studios where it had a sold-out run. Um, and so, you know, so as a play, it's done quite well. It's been published. It's been prescribed at universities in South Africa and, and abroad. And and I, in a way, I could have just left it there and just left it as a play. But um, 
Yeah, there was something in it. You know, I mean, wherever it sort of went, it, it really appealed to people and it spoke to people. And, I mean, its success in England, I think, suggested it, it spoke to people outside of South Africa, even though it's a very South African story. And so I wanted to kind of explore it further and explore what it was that um, that was connecting to people in this way. I also wanted to write a much more socially engaged, more political novel about now. You know, my previous novels had been set in the past um, in England. Um, the, the novel before The Dream House was The Landscape Painter, and that moved between South Africa just before the Anglo-Boer War and England after the Second World War. And it was sort of historical novels, even though it was set partially in South Africa, it was kind of displaced. Um, and the novel before that was set in Stratford-upon-Avon at the Royal Shakespeare Company, where I worked for some time. So I, I really wanted to write about now and um, and about the strange sort of place that we're in in South Africa at this moment, the sort of middle space between regeneration and decay, where it sort of feels like we're building a new democracy, but also a lot of our infrastructure, a lot of our values are kind of under threat. Um, and particularly at the time, it was kind of the Zuma government it just felt very endangered. Um, and so I, I kind of revisited the play in writing the novel. But what's lovely about a novel is that you can go into the heads of, of the characters in a way you can't with a play. In a play, you only really have access to what people are sort of saying and doing on stage. And people can give a kind of a monologue or a soliloquy or something, but it's it can't get into the texture of the consciousness of the character in the way a novel a novel can. Um, and and the play also just took place in real time. It was one scene that took place over real real time in in the sitting room in the farmhouse. And what was great about the novel, even though it only takes place over a day and a half, it I was able to kind of leave that room and enter the farm and enter the landscape around it. Um, and the landscape of the, the novel is this um, it's this farm that's been sold for development and they're turning it into a kind of gated community so the farmer house is being sort of reproduced through the through the valley um, with slight sort of variations and uh, so there are all these earth movers and trenches and you know sort of like a war zone but out of the mud are, are rising these new houses and they look half like ruins and, and half like new houses and so the landscape the novel was sort of set and was, for me, very much the landscape of, of contemporary South Africa. It felt like it was too early to condemn us and condemn our new democracy, and it was too early to celebrate it. Um, and, yeah, so that's sort of the world of it, and it's really about an old couple who've sold their farm. Um, he's kind of got dementia, and at, at the beginning of the novel, he kind of runs off into the mist, and he spends the, most of the novel trying to find his way back to the house, um, certainly that evening. And he keeps encountering these half-built houses, you know, in the middle of nowhere, and he thinks he's arrived home. But, you know, in one there's a, you know, sort of half-built, half, half and there's a big fire in the sitting room where his wife should be sitting, and there's a whole lot of people standing around it. Another one is just a concrete platform. In one there's a sort of donkey standing in his bedroom, you know. So he, he's sort of very disorientated anyway, but... He's kind of, it's called the dream house, and they're all trying to find a home. They're all trying to find a house or a homeland or a country where they can feel at home. I feel like no one in South Africa, whoever they are, is satisfied that we've arrived at the country we want to live in. So it feels like we're all questing towards a homeland that we want to inhabit. Um, and at the beginning of the novel, a guy called Luxmar, who grew up on the farm as a young, young boy, um, and he left as a young man, he comes back to speak to this old woman who's leaving. And it's really about a dramatic event that happened in the past and the different versions of it and how that's 
impacted on the present and, and the future in a way. Um, and and the dream house, like my new novel, the, the White Room, is, is narrated from a range of perspectives, from a range of characters who all have quite a different angle on things. Um, it's called Free Indirect Discourse or Attached Third Person, where the name of the, char- the, the, the chapter is sort of a character name, and you're saying he or she, but when you're in that point of view, you can't get outside of the consciousness of that person whose perspective you're in. Do you know what I mean? James Kutsia used it quite a lot. Um, so, yeah, that's a little bit about the novel. I don't want to go too much about it. But um, I, I think that, you know, for me, I think that in South Africa we, we're very jaded and we're very squashed. And, you know, we, get, we have a lot of negative stuff coming at us all the time about the economy, about crime statistics, about corruption, about, you know, we, we, there are a lot of challenges. There's a lot of fear. And, and I think what happens when when things are uncertain and there's a lot of fears that people kind of shut down and they, they build kind of walls around themselves and they kind of hunker down and they, they try to kind of protect themselves from, from the realities. And I suppose what I was trying to do in the dream house is trying to find a new form to kind of break open some of this content and find a fresh way of looking at it that, 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 that made us re-engage with who we are, who we have been and who we can be. And to, to, to get us to re-engage with the democratic process, I suppose, in South Africa, where we need to be much more open to the other realities around us because they're not threats to us. They actually enrich us. And, um, and that by engaging with each other and re-engaging with each other, we, we reinvent our own possibilities for ourselves, for each other, for our future. And so that, that's what the novel's trying to do. It's trying to, it's trying to disrupt us in order to, get us to re-engage with things that, that maybe we, we, we're tired of or we, th- we think we've exhausted, but actually I don't think we've even begun. Those are really we- weighty and meaty themes for 17 and 18-year-olds. <laughs> but it's yeah. the, it's most probably, it should be a compulsory theme for children, you know, students just on the cusp of adulthood yeah. le- leaving school to engage with. I think young people aren't jaded. I think young people are still alive to the world. They're still forming their identity their their individual identity but their their identity with their country with their community and so i think a novel like this might be really good for them it might be really helpful and useful because they have to engage in a range of perspectives and there's no narrator in the novel sort of telling them what to think or feel they have to decide for themselves um yeah we in conversation with Craig Higginson, the author of both The Dream House and The White Room. We'll be back with more conversation straight after this ad break. People of the Book on 101.9 High FM. We are in conversation with Craig Higginson. He's the author of The Dream House and now just released last month, The White Room. We focused on The Dream House. Let's move our focus to your new novel. The, the White Room. Instead of an outline of the story, can, let's rather start with the two main protagonists, Hannah Mead and Pierre. Who are they? Are they part, are they, are they partly, are they purely fictional or they're somehow rooted in real people? And I suppose from the protagonists, we can then investigate the story. Yeah. So, yeah, so there's um, Hannah, who is a South, white South African living in Paris, teaching English as a foreign language. Um, and there is Pierre, who is her student, who's a couple of years younger. And he is um, getting private lessons from her, which he gets in her 
apartment, which is which is one of the white rooms of the novel. There, there are a couple of different white rooms, um, but um, th- and that's the sort of main story is is the relationship between this teacher and her student. And um, he, at the beginning, he kind of thinks that she's English and from England, and she, out of a kind of shame or want a desire to reinvent herself, doesn't sort of say that he, she's um, South African, and he. Suggests he's a sort of Congolese refugee that he was caught up in the in the conflicts um, after the Rwandan genocide, and that his family was affected, and and that he was brought up by a white family in France. And actually, we later realise that his parents are alive and well, are living near Dijon, and um, so they're both lying about who they are to each other because they're both kind of trying to be something they're not. Pierre's trying to get her sympathy; he's trying to get her to feel sorry for him as this kind of refugee um, figure, and, and she's sort of pretending to be the, the quintessence of Englishness. And both of them, she's not as, as English and is more African than she's pretending, and he's more European and less African than he's pretending. And that, so that it's sort of inverted. Um, and then the novel is sort of framed by, that sort of takes place, that Paris story takes place around 2003 in the, on the eve of the, the war against Iraq. And I was actually teaching English as a foreign language in Paris at that time. And there were a lot of demonstrations in La Bastille, which was a block away from the English school where I taught. And so on the Saturday morning when I was teaching English as a foreign language, I'd hear this chanting in this from from the Bastille, um, everyone sort of objecting to, to the war and uh, against Saddam Hussein and the whole we- weapons of mass destruction and all of that sort of thing. Um, so, so the, the 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 past is sort of steeped in that time where there was this opportunity for a kind of dialogue between the West and the East, following September the 11th. I think there was a kind of, I think a more Arab, a more sort of um, more moderate Arab countries. I think f- felt terrible remorse at, at what had happened at September the 11th, and I think there was an opportunity for dialogue. And I think that by going into war with with a you know, with Iraq, I think I think that that dialogue changed, and I think. You know, ISA and ISIS and all these play- groups came out of that. So the novel's sort of about this funny time where there was this opportunity for a new kind of a dialogue that wasn't really taken. And then it's sort of framed by the present, where Hannah's now a playwright and she's l- returned to South Africa and she's going to London to watch the opening night of her play, which is about her time in Paris and her relationship with this student of Congolese descent. And Pierre. Uh, is there at the opening night with his wife, and so it's sort of it's it, it's got the present and it's got the past. It's got her as a young woman and him as a young man, and her as a middle-aged woman and him as a middle-aged man, and it sort of looks at the at what happened in Paris, what could have happened, what's happened since, and they've got another chance in the novel to maybe change things. The the tension between the past and the present and these two protagonists isn't just narrated from the multiple perspectives where we get into their minds, but you've actually structured the entire novel with a very set structure, mm. you know, like a play, which also adds to the entire to the entire. To yes, the, it, it it really did change the way that I read the novel. It really did. Yeah, I mean, I think the the reader, you know, doesn't really know while they in the Paris section whether what they're watching is the play or the reality of what really happened. And the novel's kind of playing around with that. Um, and interesting, the first half of the play sticks much more closely to actual events. And the older peer watching the play is quite offended by, by Hannah's representation of him. And the second half of the play, which is 
uses more fictional devices and plays a, a little bit around w- with the truth more that that fiction kind of digs deeper and 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 speaks truth is about Pierre that Pierre didn't know Hannah knew about him so interestingly when Hannah's trying to represent the truth she only kind of skims along the surface of things and 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 kind of offends offends him but when when um when she's consciously writing a fiction that seems to reach places in him um that 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 her truths don't don't reach. Do you know what I mean? So the novel's very much about truth and fiction, and and can we access the truth um, through truth telling, or can we access different truths through fictions? Because um, there's something freeing about fictions. Um, and I think part of your question was to to what extent are they are they drawn are they fictitious characters or drawn on my own experience? So, I mean, interestingly, you know, I also did write a play called The Girl in the Yellow Dress, which, which this novel has its roots in. And it was, the girl was from England and the, and the boy was like Pierre is. Um, and when I wanted to write it as a novel, I just felt I wouldn't be able to kind of write the interiority of a middle class English female character with, with, with much confidence, you know, because a lot of, a lot of the novel is kind of memories of her childhood and her relationship with her twin brother and so on. So it goes back and forth in, in time in her own biography as well. And I kind of felt, I just, I didn't feel confident about, um, about writing that, you know. Um, so by making Hannah South African, um, I was able to, to write about a lot of my own memories of growing up in, in the, the Zimbabwean War of Independence or the Rhodesian Bush War, whatever, however you want to name that. That, that was my, you know, my first memories are, are kind of steeped in that time. Um, and then during, you know, growing up in, in South Africa during apartheid. So there's a lot of, a lot of me in that. Um, but there's a lot of peer in me as well, because I lived in England and I felt African and I felt kind of looked down on in my English and the way I spoke English, you know, was, was kind of mocked by people and, I was this kind of white South African, you know, in, a, in the in the mid '90s to late '90s, and I felt this kind of shame about that. And and a lot of people had a lot of judgment about me, even not living in South Africa at that time and living abroad. And you know, thought I was kind of running away from the democratic South Africa, having kind of grown up with all the advantages during apartheid. And you know what I mean? So a lot of that stuff is there in the novel. Um, interestingly, by making um, Hannah South African, the novels very suddenly became about. Characters whose parents had been involved in war situations. So Pierre's parents were involved with the sort of Eastern Congo conflicts. Hannah's mother was a war correspondent who's covered a lot of stories in Africa, but she also, her husband was lost in the, in the Rhodesian stroke Zimbabwean war. Uh, and Hannah, and, you know, grew up in apartheid South Africa. And then there's these Serbian characters as well, whose parents were involved with the Bosnian Serbian conflicts. So the novels very much became about, in a way that the play wasn't, it became about um, second generation um, war victims in a way, you know, th- that they'd absorbed the poison and the trauma of, of their parents' um, war experiences, which is something that we, you know, we talk about a lot. We talk about it regarding the Holocaust and, you know, how, how trauma can be, can be inherited and, and how it affects your genetic makeup. I mean, your, 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 chromosomes are physically affected by trauma and it's, it's handed down and so, so these characters are trying to have relationships in the present um, but they've absorbed the kind of poison from the past like a kind of tonsil they're, they're trying to fi- have, have healthy relationships but they struggle
We're in conversation with Craig Higginson. We're discussing his latest novel, The White House. We will be back with some more questions straight after this ad break. People of the Book on 101.9 High FM. This is People of the Book on 101.9 High FM. We're in conversation with Craig Higginson, the author of The Dream House and just released right now, The White Room. Fascinating conversation about the book, The White Room. I've read it, but to hear the author talk about it once I've finished reading it makes the entire reading process a total, a totally different experience. The White Room is not an easy read. It challenges the reader, and it creates degrees of discomfort in the reader. And I think that's good, because all good literature should do these things. How did the novel come into being? What ignited the initial spark? You've already said it started as a play. Mm. And how was that kernel then nurtured all the way into this novel? So the play started because um, I was working at the Market Theatre and um, a a British um, theatre called um, the Citizens Theatre in Glasgow wanted to collaborate with, with us and do a kind of English South African co-production. Um, so I, I'd, I'd written some of this play and I shared it with them and they were quite keen to co-produce. So it became this play that was going to be produced by the Citizens Theatre in Glasgow and Live Theatre in, in Newcastle and the Travis Theatre in Edinburgh and the Market Theatre and Baxter Theatre in South Africa. So I wanted to write a play that had dialogue at its, at its heart between kind of Europe and Africa. So I came up with Hannah, who was this quintessentially upper-class or upper-middle-class English woman, and Pierre, the student of kind of Congolese descent. And I wanted people in in Europe to reflect on their attitude, attitudes towards Africa, and I wanted people in Africa to reflect on their attitudes towards Europe. And so it became very much like that. And we had an English actress, and we had a, a black South African actor, and we had a, an English designer and a, a black female lighting designer. You know, so it was very much a, a dialogue and a, and a, and a collaboration. Um, and I suppose, you know, growing up in apartheid, you know, it's a bit like, it's a bit like, you look at the kind of Germans that came, um, out of, out of growing up in, in Germany in the thirties, you know, some of those writers and philosophers and psychologists and not just Jewish ones. I mean, you look at Thomas Mann and Brecht and I think that sort of experience of growing up in, in kind of Nazi Germany gave people a, a kind of angle on, on what human beings can be. You know what I mean? And I think that that growing up in apartheid was a similar thing. I mean, it was a less, maybe a less vicious and extreme, but it was it was still a terrible fascist state that we grew up in. And I think that that experience has given us a, a perspective and an angle on things that that people who live in the complacency of 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 Europe, um, you know, Somerset or Staffordshire, or, you know, these places I lived in when I was in England, you know, people just just have no sort of idea really of of a lot of the realities out there in the world. And so, you know, I wanted to write a novel that that spoke back at Europe, that that spoke back at the complacency of of Europe and and Brexit and Trump and all of these things that are going on, and and the sort of thing of of you know this threat of refugees that that sort of these people are trying to flood into Europe and people trying to kind of keep them out, and it felt that Pierre's story in a situation coming from the Congo and trying to fit into Europe, um, and Hannah also coming from Africa and trying to fit into Europe were quite contemporary um, issues. And um, 
So those were sort of some of the things that I was looking at. Um, interestingly, they both returned to Africa uh, by the end, and I don't want to give too much away, but but that was certainly my trajectory. I mean, I lived in England for 10 years, and I was trying to be a writer, and then I came back here, and I was driving down the, the road, and I thought, you know, looking at, looking at the people walking along the street and waiting for the bus, I just thought, these are my people. These are the people I care about. This is where I'm invested. I've got nothing to say about people in England. I don't know enough about them. I have no history. And here, whether the people like it or not, this is where I belong. And and since I came back and started to write from here um, in the last 10 or so years, you know, my writing's done so much better than it ever would have, I think, if I'd stayed in England. And all those people who were kind of snooty with me in England and didn't want to, you know, read what I'd written suddenly, you know, express much more interest because you're writing from an interesting place. We've got time for one more question. And I'm going to ask you... Just to to join what you've just finished off, I'm going to ask you a question. As a rising force within the South African literary establishment, now that you've chosen to live here and to write from the South African space, how do you see literary South Africa? Is What is being written? Is it a reflection of the society that we're living in? And what impact does the written word have on our society? Um, so, yeah, that's a big question. We've only got a couple of minutes. But, I mean, nonfiction sells better than fiction, I think, because people think that nonfiction will tell them the truth and will help them to manage their quite frightening experience, the, their disorientation in the present. And I think that um, there's a big place for fiction at a time like this because it helps us to reimagine ourselves and reimagine our possibilities and and create pictures of, a, of the kind of future we might be able to move towards. I think fiction engages our imagination and I think it's very important and I think there's a big flood of fiction that's coming out of South Africa at the moment. The, the, the publishing industry really is growing. It's transforming. There's an amazing young generation of South African writers and I think that people you know, often have this, this feeling that South African writing is not as good as writing abroad or it's all about stuff that they just don't want to hear about. But there are a lot of very interesting writers with very interesting perspectives and I sort of feel there's a lot of space to to experiment formally and to try different things. Um, you know, my novel, The Dream House, which, you know, we're talking about being the set work. You know, it's quite an experimental novel. I mean, one one chapter is only one word long. You know, it's just the word beauty, her shouting for the domestic workers. That's one of the chapters. You know, it's just white space around it. You know, it's quite playful with form and 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 there's an appetite for that and a growing appetite for that. So so I think it's quite exciting. I think it's an exciting time. I think liter- uh, um, theatre is struggling with lack of funds and, and it doesn't seem to be growing t- at the same rate. But I think fiction and non-fiction in our country really are growing, as is things like television. It's been an absolute pleasure to have you here in the studio, Craig. It's been – I enjoyed the book. I read it in a few days this week. But to have the author share so much more that's beyond the page that actually went into the formation of the page has, as I said earlier, it's, it's – just the last half an hour has just totally changed the entire reading experience. And that's what I love about bringing authors into the studio because you read the book twice. You read yeah. the book when you read it and then you reread it in your mind when you yeah. hear the author yeah. talking. Well, thank you, Steve. It's lovely to be here. Thanks thank very you. much. Thank you. Cheers.